Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. My name is Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to the latest episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you been itching just to jumpstart your financial future, right? Maybe you're sitting there, you're wondering whether or not you can stick it out in clinical medicine. Well, I've been doing some financial experiments to help you and, of course, selfishly me to get a better handle on all of the different ways we can generate passive and not so passive income streams. And as a matter of fact, about four months ago, I revealed I bought a brand new business. So I detailed all of this in the season three, episode 12, Learning From My Mistakes podcast. So make sure to check that out in the show notes. I'm going to drop some links in there. But anyhow, I'm learning about all this stuff. And I thought it'd be really cool to bring on the show the folks that helped made my acquisition get through and to explain the process and maybe even coach me through some of the issues that we've been having. So I have a ton of questions and I think you are just going to find this educational, give you that business education you never got and we can all learn together. With no further ado, please help me welcome Justin Cook from Empire Flippers. Welcome, Justin. Awesome, Dave. Thanks for having me on, man. really appreciate it. Hey, I'm so glad to have you on, buddy, and I'm sure there's a lot of us that aren't familiar with you. Just give us a quick thumbnail sketch of your background, my friend. Yeah, so I was a mid-level manager for a company in the U.S., um, and I had a previous business, a mortgage company, that had failed. So I was pretty gun-shy about entrepreneurship. Uh, my you know, previous business partner and I were both managers for this company, and we found a need to outsource to the Philippines. We were hiring a ton of people. We needed some labor, and so we... You know, we said, look, let's start hiring some people in the Philippines. Uh, this was, we were in California at the time. Ended up hiring a team in the Philippines and started growing that team. And over time, we said, look, we're kind of setting up a company here. Why don't we just go all at it? So we talked to our CEO, CFO, said, look, you know, we're hiring and growing this team in the Philippines. Why don't we just make it our team? We'll set up a company over there and you can outsource your business or a portion of your business to us. And they went for it. Uh, you know, we ended up uh, moving to the Philippines, a uh, couple of different changes to our business. And, and we started building online businesses and kind of just like fumbling into the online business world, started creating websites and monetizing those websites, and eventually started to sell those websites. And in the course of kind of selling our own websites, we had a lot of people ask us, hey, I see you've got people that buy websites. Can we sell with you? So we, <laughs> we kind of got into you know brokering by basically building our own websites, our own online businesses that made money, and then kind of built an audience of people that said, look, you're doing it. You've got buyers. Can we sell with you? And we said, sure, come on in, and we'll help you sell your business as well. So that's kind of how we got into brokering online businesses and websites and the whole thing. Wow. And you moved overseas. Was that was that hard? Um, oh. to to make that move or just an easy decision because it's like, oh, it's cheaper, it's awesome. What was What's that been like? So we were, I mean, it's a little scary. I was in the Navy before, so I traveled overseas quite a bit um, on a ship. <laughs> it's a little different. But, you know, then I traveled even after I got out. International travel was, was something I was interested in and like. So I, we were also, both of us were interested in, you know, making dollars and spending pesos, which is what they spend in the Philippines. And we said, look, if we can make U.S. dollars and live really well in the Philippines, spending pesos, 
those, that would be amazing. And, and so we went over there. It was, it was a little scary, uh, you know, setting up at a new place. You know, the Philippines is deceivingly similar to the U.S. in that English is prevalently spoken. You know, all, like, legal contracts are in English. Um, but it's not exactly the same. And you start to really figure that out when you're living there um, in both good and bad ways. So it was a bit of a culture shock more than maybe we expected. Um, but, you know, a lot of good came out of it as well. And I, I've been in Asia now for... I mean, just over seven years, primarily. I mean, I go back to the U.S. for conferences and to visit family and everything. But I mean, I, I generally live in Asia. I'm in uh, Saigon, Vietnam, right now, actually. Well, I, I'm. It's it's a dream that so many people have, right? To work from your laptop wherever the heck you want. Um, is is that something that you're loving? You know, is it? Hard? It is. I mean, I have a lot of friends and, and there's a community of people, there's multiple communities of people that kind of do this. And so it can get really lonely if you're just kind of doing it on your own. And you don't know anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, a few years ago, my well, now wife and I um, took off from the Philippines to travel. And so we did the, you know, one week here, you know, two weeks in Bangkok and a week in Bali and two weeks in Manila. We started just doing the real like heavy travel thing. And, you know, we said, look, we just kind of go to these places. We don't know anyone. Let's kind of hook up with some communities and, and meet people. And we've kind of made friends. And there are a lot of people, more people than you might think, out here doing this type of thing. And we went to Europe last summer and, and met some of the people there in Barcelona. And so it's actually, you know, it's a bigger crowd than, than definitely than there were even like, you know, 15, 20 years ago. There's a lot more people doing this now, which makes it better. I think if I was the only one and I was just kind of running into like, banker expats that you know their company sent them to hong kong for a two-year you know stint um that wouldn't be as fun but the fact that there are a lot of entrepreneurs over here makes it interesting huh that's so cool well uh, i have more questions about the the philippines about to talk about uh El Presidente over there before too long, but um, um there's a ton of online businesses out there justin and I, as I scroll through the Empire Flippers site, I encourage everyone to check it out, empireflippers.com. There's just a ton of different businesses, Amazon FBA, consulting, affiliates. And I'm guessing that there's someone listening out there right now that has no idea what the heck I just said. So give us a quick lay of the land. What, what are these different businesses that people could think about buying? Yeah, a lot of times people, if they're just kind of brand new to this stuff, they say a website, like you don't have to pay $400,000 for a website. That's crazy. Just have someone, you know, design a website for you and you're good to go. You got your website. Well, you know, the thing is we're selling businesses and, and really more like cash flows, right? I mean, these are cash flowing businesses that, that you're buying. It's not just the website. There's a lot that goes into it. But one of the most basic, I guess, business models uh, online, and there's, we actually have a post and I'll share with you the 11 different online business models that goes into some depth um, that your, your listeners might be interested in. One of the basic models, though, would be like an AdSense site. And what this is, is it's a blog or a site that's around a particular niche. Let's just say ceiling fans. Uh, it's a blog about ceiling fans. Um, and, you know, it talks quite a bit about them. It has like buying keywords in the content, but has nice images. And what you do is you place these kind of um, ad blocks on the page. And what that will do is it'll show advertising to you know visitors, people that come to visit the page, visit the site. Anytime someone clicks on those ads, you'll get a little bit of money. It might be 15 cents, it might be a dollar fifty. It just depends on what types of ads are being shown and you know what the advertisers are paying you at the time. So you get a little bit and you can make anywhere from, you know, a couple of bucks a month up to tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars 
um, via the AdSense program. So that's kind of one of the most basic. You just kind of put these, this little bit of code on there on content that you have on this website or this blog. And then, you know, Google AdSense does the rest. They put up the ads, they match the advertisers with the content, that kind of thing. Um, probably the second easiest would be something like an Amazon affiliate site. And this is using the Amazon Associates program, where if you send traffic over to Amazon, you know, traffic that people are going to Amazon and buying stuff anyway, but if you actually send that person over to Amazon and they make a purchase, they'll give you a very small percentage of that purchase. So using the same example, if I have a site that's about ceiling fans and I'm kind of reviewing those ceiling fans and talking about the benefits or the downsides of one brand over another, and you click on one of the images or one of the links on my site and go to Amazon and buy one of those ceiling fans or quite honestly anything at Amazon with a 24-hour cookie, I'll get a percentage of that sale. And so the more traffic I get to my site, uh, the more interested potential you know buyers on Amazon I get to my site that click through and then buy stuff from Amazon, the more I get paid. So instead of like advertising where it's just the click gets me paid, they actually have to click through and purchase something with Amazon. And from there it gets a bit more complicated. You can have, you know, traditional e-commerce businesses where you source products out of, you know, from manufacturers in China and you have it shipped over to your warehouse in the US. You know, it gets a little more complicated, but those are kind of the basic business models. And then there's the Amazon FBA too. So what's that all about? Yeah, so that's that's kind of a hybrid of an e-commerce business. It's a little easier. But basically, you'll take a product from your supplier, and, and quite often the suppliers are in China, but they don't have to be. They can be in the U.S. Your manufacturers, and instead of shipping to your warehouse or depending on how small your business is, your garage in some instances, um, you're not going to have them ship to you. You're going to have them ship to Amazon. So what they do is they ship your product to Amazon and you have your product listed for sale on Amazon's platform. So Amazon will receive your goods and then ship those goods out to customers on your behalf. So the benefit of that is your you know, you don't have to drive traffic to your website. Amazon already has the traffic. They've got people searching for the products. They've kind of got all that. All you have to do is make sure that you're ranked, make sure you have a you know, well-reviewed product, that people like your product and are giving you positive reviews. And over time, if things are going well, you're going to get quite a bit of sales through Amazon FBA. It is a, I mean, I know people have gotten started in that in the last couple of years. One guy in particular just recently sold his business, um, a friend of mine, for just under a million bucks, and he started maybe wow. two years ago. And he's Jeez. done really well with it. One thing I'll say is, is a lot of people try to make Amazon FBA sound like this magical unicorn, like you know everyone's making money, everyone's crushing it with Amazon FBA. Um, there are some downsides. I'm sure we're going to talk about downsides later, but one of the downsides is it is a cash cow, cash vampire. <laughs> um, to grow those FBA businesses, you're constantly, you know, rebuying inventory. And if they're growing and they typically typically can grow fast, which you, you want that to happen, you're going to be upside down for a long time. Uh, most of the people I know that get into that are just, you know, maxing credit cards. They're getting lines. They're doing everything they can to keep their inventory in stock, and and it can just really suck down your cash. All right. Well, let's take a pause here for a second and go to our commercial break. Well, if you are like some members of my audience, you are committed to being an amazing doctor and succeeding at life. But the truth is you've never received financial training during medical school and you struggle with enough time to do it all. And well, my friend, about a year ago, I started offering my book, The Freedom Formula for Physicians, for only a dollar plus shipping. Well, this offer, it's coming to an end. 
And so only through the end of August, you can still pick up my book, The Freedom Formula for Physicians, for only a dollar. That's right, the whole copy, a physical copy to hold in your hands for only a dollar plus shipping. And actually, that's only just part of this incredible deal because I throw in a bonus electronic copy completely for free so you can start reading it immediately. But there's a problem. This is coming to an end. So make sure you take me up on this offer. Are you ready to pick up this book and get the financial training that you've desired? You can visit the podcast website now at www.drfreedombook.com to pick up your copy, or you can simply text Dr. Book to 44222. Don't let this podcast, my friend, be like other ones where you hear great information, you get some new ideas, but you never actually complete anything. To snag your copy now, visit www.drfreedombook.com or text Dr. Book to 44222. For me, what, what we bought kind of falls under just a general e-commerce, which was a software, a mobile gaming kit software. So it kind of wasn't in some of the, the Amazon FBA or Amazon affiliate or AdSense, just, just a general um, website. And I know for me, one of the, the risks that I was looking at with this software was a couple of things. One, uh, it gets sold in two different places, directly on the website, and two, through essentially an, an Amazon-type place called Unity Asset Store, where software developers go to buy stuff. So there are two kind of different traffic sources. And so, of course, some of the risk I was thinking about, well, what if they decide to delist the product or you change the however they, they feature businesses or whatever. So that was one risk I was thinking of yep. uh, before buying the business, as well as the gentleman that had set up everything has this great sales page of selling the software, and he was just relying on organic traffic. So what if the organic traffic dies and goes away from SEO or whatever Google's algorithm changing and how people find the site? So that's something I was thinking about uh, with with those kinds of, of things that I got. What do you think about like the AdSense, Justin? What what are some risks for the AdSense type business? Well, first off, I should mention kind of the, uh, I'm going to mention the benefits first, uh, you know, because a lot of people, you, you can compare a, um, an online business uh, purchase to an offline business purchase, like kind of on the lower level. So let's say, for example, you're buying a laundromat, right? Or a convenience store or a liquor store or something like that for $80,000 versus a website, right? For $80,000. Um, one of the benefits of a website or an online business is it can be run from absolutely any, anywhere. I mean, you know, like I said, I'm in Saigon right now. I know people are running these businesses from you know beaches in Thailand or, or wherever. So you're not stuck geographically. If you're in a small town, you're not going to buy the business and be stuck running it. And that's often the case with like smaller gas stations or convenience stores, that kind of thing. You're buying it, but you end up kind of being the manager slash cleaner slash everything. Uh, another benefit is that uh, it's not likely, most of them at least, are not likely to go upside down or to get upside down on you, whereas like a physical business can, right? If you've got costs that are exceeding uh, your revenue, um, you can actually be losing money every month, not just not making money, but losing money. And that's generally not the case for online business. It can be depending on paid traffic plays and stuff, but it's mostly it's not the case. So there are some serious advantages to online businesses over offline, but that doesn't mean they don't come with risk. And in fact, the risks are different, right? So 
Um, some of the risks with an AdSense type business, one of them you already mentioned, a lot of times they're based on organic traffic, meaning you know people are searching certain keywords in Google and they're doing a Google search or Bing search. I don't know if anyone actually does that, but <laughs> they're, they're doing a search and they find your site, you know, go to your site, kind of read a page or two and then click on the ad. Well, if Google changes their algorithm, they change... Um, anything and just don't like your site anymore. They say, oh, your site's not as good. We're going to put these other five ahead of you. You can lose quite a bit of search traffic. Um, you can become penalized. You can take, you know, just small hits. You can decline over time. You can go up too, but, you know, you can go up to a limit. I mean, you can't be more than number one for your keyword. Now, you can get ranked for more keywords, which is what most people that build content-based, you know, um, organic traffic sites do is they start to build out more content and get ranked for new keywords. But you can only be number one for the keyword. There's only one way to go from there, and that's down. So that's one risk. Another risk is that you know not only you're reliant on Google traffic, organic search traffic, you're also reliant on Google for your monetization. So if Google, for whatever reason, found a piece of your content objectionable or too risky or you know, one of the advertisers complained or someone in your house went to the site and started clicking on the ads to get you paid or someone in your neighborhood did that, you can run the risk of Google banning your AdSense account. And, you know, Google doesn't, you know, they're not going to devote a ton of resources to people that it thinks are trying to scam the platform or scam, uh, you know, the AdSense program. They're going to, sh- they're going to shut you down and not ask a lot of questions. And this has happened to people where they lost their AdSense account. It could be your primary way of earning money. And the, the problem with that is a lot of the other options aren't as good. Like media.net is an alternative, but it's not nearly as good. You're probably gonna have to switch the site around to a different monetization platform. Um, that's not AdSense, that's not advertising based, which means a fundamental change to the site. So there are, you know, two uh, pretty clear risks with AdSense sites. There are others, depending on what you're doing. FBA I said is cash heavy. Um, there's other risks with an e-commerce business where, you know, you um, you're shipping your products over from China uh, by freight, right? It's on a ship and your mm-hmm. container falls out the side in a storm, right? Unless you bought that yeah. insurance, you're screwed. You and, you know, if you had anyone else in that container, they're screwed too. And that's not uncommon. You can buy container insurance for the times where they hit those rough seas and, and containers go sliding overboard. So there, there are risks with all, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of risks with online businesses. Some of them are shared with offline businesses, but some of them are really unique to kind of the, the online business world. Well, I, I think that those are great overviews, man. That's just really good way to, to look at all this stuff. And I mean, no matter what you do, right? I mean, there's risk with it. You buy you buy a house to live in, you could have floods or earthquakes or you name it, right? I mean, there, there's risk with everything. I think the reason why I bought uh, a business really came down to I wanted to have another income stream coming in. Um, what what kind of people do you see buying online businesses through Empire Flippers? Are they experienced? Are they not experienced? Or just all over the map? What what does that look like? Yeah, so we we did um, a podcast episode on it, and uh, and and it really resonated with our audience. And and uh, it was the six types of website buyers. And so we we basically um, made avatars or profiles of these people. And they, they kind of, you know, run the, the gamut. Like, you know, we, we called one of them newbie norms, right? <laughs> newbie norms is a guy um, who is like heard about this kind of online business thing, probably listen to a podcast like this and has seen advertising sites, knows that some sites make money, but isn't really sure, wants to figure it out. Isn't 100% sure these sites actually make money and the whole thing isn't, isn't uh, you know, a scam. Um, so they buy kind of a smaller site just to kind of try it out and get their feet wet. 
don't have a lot of experience, probably need a little more hand-holding, want kind of a basic site at AdSense or Amazon type site. Um, and then you have other people like a do-it-yourself Dave, right, um, who does this, maybe he's done it a couple of times, but they're really looking for something that they can uh, get their hands dirty in. Maybe they're really good with like, you know, um, backlinks or kind of SEO traffic. They're looking for something they can really do some work from. Maybe it's a, you know, on a beach in Bali, but they want to spend a few hours a day kind of doing some work and, and really tinkering with the business. And you got, you know, Strategic Sally who is looking for a business that is a really good fit. Maybe she's got a main kind of business going and she sells, uh, you know, dog collars. And, you know, she wants to, she's in the pets category and wants to expand into cats. And there's a, you know, cat supply website that she wants to buy because she thinks there's some crossover between her customers. She buys this business making five, $6,000 a month. She knows that she's already got a baked in audience um, that she can, you know, immediately double the earnings in the business just based on the current audience she has and offering the products, you know, the cross cross promoting the product. So there's there's the portfolio Pauls that um that have maybe they have a dozen or two dozen or five dozen, you know, a hundred websites or online businesses already. They've got a team of people. Sometimes they have investors or they have like silent partners that are fronting some of the money. They're putting some of the money in themselves. Um, recently. As a portfolio, Paul, we've got a few of those guys that buy pretty regular, regularly from us, maybe half a dozen times a year. They'll sell a few with us and buy a few with us. Recently, we've been seeing funds kind of get into the space. So you'll have a you know, million dollar, $3 million, $10 million fund, and you know they've raised some money, um, and they put some money in themselves, and they're looking to kind of team up and buy uh, interesting purchases that they can, you know, 3x, 5x, 10x in the next few years. So they're looking for kind of like the bigger wins. Um, normally, with like acquisitions like that, it's a private equity and investment banks, and they kind of don't go under 10 million. So there's this gap in the market right around, you know, like one to 10 million that private equity, it's too small to move the needle for like an investment bank or private equity. Um, but it's too big for an individual investor. So, you know, no one's sitting around with, you know, $3.5 million in the bank. But if you pull some money together, you, you've got the money. So we're starting to see that in the market. But that's still kind of bleeding edge. It's still super new. Well, in, in my opinion, as as I was looking at some of the valuations and, and how you guys are pricing things, I mean, to me, uh, relative to cash flows, of course, there's all these risks, but I thought things look overall pretty attractively priced. Um, I, I'm guessing that overall that multiples have expanded a little bit since you started this thing, meaning that that if you look at price to earnings or those kind of valuation metrics, price to revenue, whatever you want to look at, that price has gone up relative to some of those um, stats. I mean, what do you think about how, how businesses get valued? Has that been changing? What, what would you say about that? Yeah. So, you know, we, we talk about the multi, we, we talk about a multiple, right? A multi, multiple of net monthly profit or sales discretionary earnings, depending on, you know, where you're coming from. Um, but we talk about a multiple, we, we talk about it monthly. So I'll tell you before we got started, uh, brokering online businesses and, and with our marketplace, um, before we got started at all, the online businesses were selling around 12 to 15 times the net monthly profit. So it was making $1,000 a month. You could buy it for around twelve to $15,000, which today sounds just absolutely delicious, right? I mean, you hear that, you're like, wow, <laughs> give me some of that. Right? Um, that changed, you know, when we started brokering 
sites and and started selling sites in our marketplace uh, we were doing it at 20 times net monthly profits so a thousand bucks sell for about twenty thousand and that's because that's what we were selling it for um that's kind mm-hmm. of like where we found the market we could probably squeeze 22 24 out but it's around 20 and since then that was you know three four years ago since then we've seen those multiples steadily increase um it's around 30 right now so about two and a half years anywhere from like two to three years times uh, profit or 24 to 35 x um, net monthly profit and that's about where the multiples are and and it's gonna vary you know you know 24 sounds a hell of a lot better than 36 right um the thing is though it's gonna vary based on a lot of things so how long the business has been around you know if it's only been around for a year and a half it's a little riskier from a buyer's perspective. They're going to pay a lower multiple. It's been around for four years. It's less risky. Um, if the earnings are very seasonal or like fluctuate pretty pretty highly between one month to the next, um, that can be a bit of a risk for a buyer. Um, and a bunch of other things, just you know, like how many product lines does it have and what kind of review is it, how strong is the brand, things like that will mm-hmm. affect the multiple ultimately. But yeah, you're looking at somewhere between 25 and 35x right now with us. Interesting. Well, as as I was crunching the numbers on on my acquisition and what we did, uh, I thought it was just um, fascinating. As I looked at the way I always try and look at things is what is the heck is the worst case scenario, right? Yeah. So I, I never go off of the numbers as presented. I go and look at it and I say, okay, like in this particular case, the business we bought had. Um, gross revenues of about 87k. So what I did is I went right down to what was the worst month that the business had, and that's how I valued it off of. So if we had the worst month for a two years, what yep. would that look like? And um, what I came up with was that we would have a rate of return of um, including some earnout, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, we'd still have an uh, overall rate of return of about 20, 25% on our money, yep. uh, which that's an active investment uh, for sure, for certain, but still that's a heck of a rate of return on your money, even using a worst case scenario that I had baked into it. Are you assuming though the valuation would stay the same? Because if the earnings were at that lowest month, you wouldn't be able to sell that asset for the same value generally. Right, right. I was just looking at it from a cash flow yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, um, and then as soon as you take the earnout out of it, that um, we would be cash flowing even better and better. So obviously the valuation does go down uh, yeah. if that happens. As a matter of fact, that's about where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Was my worst case scenario is coming true, but it's still producing cash flow. So we just had our first uh, distribution uh, a few days ago um, of the profits after we banked some money for a few months to um, sock it away. So um, I'd love to know what what do you think? You know, as as someone looks at these, and we all have to put in assumptions of some sort. Uh, what what are good assumptions? Was what I did good, bad? Uh, how would you evaluate? that kind of decision as someone thinks about um, having to put money into a business in the future. Well, one of the things you, you mentioned, you know, uh, the earnout, and, and I'm sure you'll talk a bit more about that, but, you know, it always makes sense to get some sort of seller financing as a buyer, not, not to necessarily get it, but it always makes sense to ask. Like there's zero reason not to ask. You know, worst case, you're getting seller financing at a 0% interest rate, which isn't so horrible. Um, but best case, you might be able to tie uh, a large chunk of you know what you have to pay 
into the success of the business. And this is generally true, you know, if the seller, um, they'll at least do a portion of it uh, if they believe in the business and they believe in you. Keep that in mind too, that a seller may not be willing to do it and it may, it may not be because of uh, what they think the business is going to do. It may be because they think you're not going to do all that well with it, which is probably a sign anyway for you, right? Um, <laughs> Uh, another thing is that, uh, you know, so it's not generally it's not of interest to sellers. If they've got a better offer, an all cash offer, let's say you're offering, you know, 50% up front, 50% earn out over 12 months, and they've got a 90% cash up front offer, they're most right. likely going to take the 90% cash offer. So it really depends on who you're competing yeah. with. Yes. And it, if you're under $200,000 purchase or acquisition, you're likely to be competing with at least a couple others because mm -hmm. there's a lot of people in that space looking to buy. If it's an $800,000 acquisition, you might not have as much competition. No guarantee that you won't, but um, you might not have as much competition as you would for a $100,000 deal, for example. Well, and just, just to think about that, where we talked about, basically there's three three different ways people can finance is you have a down payment, right? Money you put down to buy it, just like you do with a house. You got the earn out, which is one of the things I'm a big fan of, and then you got the seller financing. And um, what, what I generally found in, in this particular deal I had was we were the only um, offer on the table. And so we were able to negotiate to get that earn out. So of course I started out lower, right? Lower than what, um, uh, I hope for, and then you negotiate your way up. Um, do you think negotiating skills are super important in this kind of deal? Obviously, there's experience and those other factors, but you know, to, from a buyer's perspective, like how how important is that? I guess it's dependent on the market, but it's a lot. It's a lot more important if you're not working through a broker, right? Because if you're working through a broker like us, right, we're gonna massage, especially if you're new and. You know, buyers can be, uh, well, I don't know if it's buyers being some way or sellers feeling some way, but sellers <laughs> just feel very offended by offers, right? And so one of the things we do is we'll massage kind of the wording and the approach to an offer, um, whereas it wouldn't, it isn't the case if you're buying an off-market deal, right? So you may bring it to sell and they're like, this is crazy. You are in, that's way worth, way, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So you might get a little more huff and puff. Um, if there's not someone kind of helping to negotiate. I mean, now it's not true when we're dealing with professionals like the portfolio Pauls I mentioned before that kind of do this day in and day out. Sure, they'll negotiate, sure. But like they're just kind of, it's just doing the business. You know what I mean? Like it's not, they don't get terribly emotional about it. But, you know, a lot of times like newer buyers and, and often you know, newer sellers can get emotional. So that's one of the things I think we can help um calm that down and get the deal through, if that makes sense. And, and we help, you know, guide both the seller and the buyer um, in the deal. Now we, you know, we represent the seller, like we're representing their interest trying to, trying to get the business sold for them. But, you know, we have a double-sided marketplace. So we have buyers that are customers as well. So ultimately we as brokers want to get the deal done. Um, I'll give a bit of advice for people that probably haven't either dealt with a broker before, um, you know, for not a business broker or haven't really thought it through. But you know, we're almost completely aligned with the seller's interest, except for the fact that we may not necessarily want to get you the, the, the best terms, right? I'm just being completely frank here, but like our job is to get the deal done, present buyers and get the deal done. And yep. so if you lose a little bit of cash or you have to pay a little bit more in earn out, we 
you know, we want to get the deal done. So we're bringing you deals, trying to get you to get the deal done. Um, so that's one of the ways that buyers can use that to their advantage is kind of leverage the fact that um, brokers are just looking to get a deal um, to actually get the broker fighting uh, on their behalf with the seller. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Well, I mean, I, I think the, bi- the big thing is you got to be willing to walk away. If you can't yes. make it work for you when you crunch the numbers, we had uh, another podcast that will be available uh, when this one comes out with Corey Fawcett, where he talks about that with real estate. And, uh, you know, you, you got to put the pencil to the paper, as I did, to get an idea of, of what works. And I think to your point of, hey, under $200,000, you know, you're less likely to be able to negotiate. I mean, if you think about that, where if you can swing a deal where, just to use a simple example of 50% down and a 50% earnout, if you had to buy a business for 100% cash at 100,000 versus a business where you, you were able to swing a 50-50 deal on a $200,000 business, I would say that personally for me, I like that idea of a $200,000 business where the seller is incentivized to see it work. Yeah. Well, the other thing you can do too as a seller um, or as a buyer, is they can share in the upside. So the earnout doesn't have to be capped. So if you do 50% upfront, 50% uh, based on an earnout, let's say on gross profit or net profit or you know tied just a percentage of revenue or whatever, um, that can go up or down. So the seller has upside in it. As a buyer, you can cap um, you can cap the uh, the upside, but if you do that, you're probably gonna have to cap the downside too. There may be some minimum you pay out. So those those are that's a little more complicated. You normally you aren't gonna see that for like the smaller deals. It's, it's a little more straightforward than that. But you can get super complicated with deal structures, and we sometimes do that just to get the deal done to get everyone kind of like you know cover their bases and kind of their their wants and needs in the deal. Great advice, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, my friends. Well, that wraps up the episode for today. I always like to keep these episodes around 30 minutes. So uh, since this was a nearly hour-long conversation, we are splitting it into two. So make sure to tune in next week on iTunes. Or if you want to download the rest of it right now, we have the whole entire episode all hour of it available on uh, the podcast website, which is www.drfreedompodcast.com. So again, if you want to go ahead and download the whole episode right now, make sure to visit the website at www.drfreedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. Tune in next week, my friends. Stay healthy, stay wealthy, slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Have a good one.